0: Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Peter Montoya about healing our divides in the workplace. Peter Montoya, welcome back to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast.
1: I am thrilled to be here.
0: Yeah, it's great to have you back. I'm super excited to have this conversation. Um, we're expanding on what we talked about last time. And today we're going to be focusing on finding healing in our divides. Uh, your recent book uh, is is one that we'll discuss a bit the Second Civil War. and we're going to talk about that generally in society, but also within the workplace and how we can recognize the uniqueness and the difference um, that we see amongst our team, but also uh, building on that, leveraging those differences and, and working together in a healthy way where we can, we can celebrate and recognize difference while also leveraging the strength of those differences and not allowing ourselves to get so darn divided like we just see uh, so much in society today. As we get started, I wanted to share Peter's bio with everybody. There are seasoned entrepreneurs, gifted speakers, and best-selling authors, but rarely do you find all three in one person. Peter Montoya is that rare exception. A thought leader, skilled orator, tech entrepreneur, and successful business strategist, Peter's expertise comes from decades of being deep in the trenches, guiding sales, marketing, service, and developing teams to achieve seemingly unreachable goals, by working together cohesively. That leadership grew his software company, Marketing Pro, from a three-person startup to a multi-million dollar exit, all without partners or investors. Peter also wrote, four running books on personal branding, The Brand Called You, and Personal Branding Phenomenon, is currently building his latest game, changing tech startup, Earth, which is on track to transform the social media landscape by providing a civil, community-driven platform free of bots, trolls, and misinformation. And you can learn more at petermontoya.com. Uh, well, man, we, we really do need uh, a platform where we can uh, be have some sense of reality and free of misinformation and where people can have civil dialogue. Uh, that would be wonderful. Um, as we get started, Peter, anything else you would like to share about yourself by way of your background, your personal context, and then maybe you can tease for us a little bit about um, the, the background behind your book and the genesis for that.
1: I've, I, if you had to describe what I am, I'm a, I'm a serial entrepreneur. So I've owned advertising agencies, CrossFit gyms, coffee shops, insurance agencies. Tech startups. I've been an author. I've been a speaker. And when I listen to you read my bio, I'm listening to that going, this guy sounds uh, about uh, a half inch deep in uh, a thousand different things. I actually think I have some depth in all of those topics, I hope. So uh, hopefully I can bring the heat for you today and show that I've got depth, not just a a long listed of laundry, a long list of of a resume.
0: No, I, I think I think your um, very background is impressive, and I am a big believer in interdisciplinary work, and and that the best innovations, the best ideas come when we connect people from disparate backgrounds and areas of expertise. And so, we need connectors. We need people um, who, you know, like you said, it's not necessarily like uh, a mile wide and an inch deep, but we need people who, you know, aren't an inch wide and a mile deep too, right. right? We need right. people who are connectors, who have expertise, but can, can connect all those people. And it seems as though you know, you're that kind of an individual. And that's the kind of person I, I strive to be as well.
1: God, God, you know, I hope
0: I, I live up to my resume. <laughs> well, tell us, Peter, a little bit about your book, because that's going to be the foundation for our conversation today. Uh, why did you write this book? Uh, what, what was really the, the drive behind it? And maybe tease for us a little bit kind of the core message there. And then we'll we'll break into discussion and talk a little bit more about how it applies in organizations.
1: So the book is called The Second Civil War, A Citizen's Guide to Healing Our Fractured Nation. Um, and what I discovered in the last five years is probably what most Americans have discovered in the last five years. We cannot talk about politics. If we decide to talk about politics online, we are going to ignite an argument. We are most likely either going to outright lose friends where they defriend you, or they're no longer going to be following what you're saying anymore. Um, I've gotten into unnecessarily uh, hostile conversations with my family, my blood-related family, and I really had to ask myself, why am I behaving this way? Why are my friends so divided? Why is it so hard to keep friends across the the political spectrum? And I really had to evaluate my own behavior to find out why I was doing it. It was incredibly painful. And that was the other thing I noticed is there was so much pain from my friends on both sides of the political aisle um, and so frustrated. And so I really want to understand what was happening and how do we solve the problem?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the, the old cliche, but you don't talk about religion or politics, mm-hmm. right? And man, I, I'm not sure if that's been more true in recent history <laughs> than it yeah. is today. And it seems like the divide grows and grows and grows more and more um, daily, yearly. Uh, and so we need to find a way to fix it. And so much of the conversation happens in these online platforms, um, which probably really isn't the best place for those types of conversations to happen because you, you lose the direct interaction, the tone, you, you, it's so much easier to just be nasty online than when you're face-to-face with somebody. And we're so that.
1: so let's yeah. talk about why that is. So yeah. if you and I were walking down the street, I, I on, a, on a, on a sidewalk and you were walking too close to me or walking to head my way, the chances of me getting hostile with you when I see your face is incredibly low. I might, but it's a lot less likely. On the other hand, if you and I are driving cars and you start to swerve in my lane, the chances of me getting hostile are a lot higher. And the main reason is, uh, is in a car, I can objectify you. When I see your face, you're a human. And that type of mindset, I wouldn't say it's a direct comparison when you're driving a car to being online, but it's very, very comparable that mindset of seeing another avatar, another name online, we do a very, very similar objectification of them not being human anymore. And so we're much more likely to lash out online than we are in the real world.
0: Yeah. And I found that to be true. I mean, certainly with people that you're not like your Facebook friends, but you're not like really closely connected. Like it's way, it's way easier to, Uh -uh. to all have that go nasty really quick. Um, but even with friends and family, like close friends and family, people you see all the time in person, for some reason, when you're, you know, sitting around the dinner table having that conversation, it's still maybe uncomfortable, but it's, it doesn't go nasty. But when, as soon as it's online, it, it just becomes uh, really problematic. And so, you know, that that's a good reminder and just a lesson for people like cho- pick and choose where and when and under what context you have challenging, difficult conversations and some Some modalities are more conducive to it than others. And the the more sensitive the topic, you know, probably the more the increased likelihood it's going to be um, navigated better when you're face to face.
1: And so you're raising another issue now, which is why I mean, I've gotten I did get into political arguments with friends and family 10 years ago and 20 years ago. But why is it even worse now? (laughs) Why are those divides even bigger than they have before? So there's two reasons for that. First of all, whenever you look at any single model of decision-making, problem-solving or leadership, every single one of those models starts with an agreed-upon narrative of what the facts are. So that's point A for anywhere in any kind of problem-solving. And what has happened is we've seen, you could call it a divide. We could say that the The informational universe has been bifurcated. I know it's a generalization. It's oversimplified, but it's probably an easy way for us to get a handle on it. And so the first conversation we have is about reality. Uh, I think the election was stolen. I think the election was not. How could you think that? And all of a sudden, that starts just (laughs) throwing gasoline, kerosene um, on our tribal distinctions right to start.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. And, and we, you know, as humans, we're really good at our tribal distinctions <laughs> uh, and we, we have all these buckets. And I, I feel like, you know, it used to be even 20 years ago, you know, you had, let's say, take politics, for example. I don't want to go too far down the politics um, uh, framing, but, you know, we have Democrats and Republicans um, and and the two overlap, like there's moderates in the middle. Yes. And, right. and you definitely had left-leaning, you know, more extreme left um, politically uh, speaking in terms of Democrats and right, really far right Republicans, but the vast majority of people were somewhere in the middle and there was overlap and you could find common ground, certainly common narrative like you were describing. And over time, there's lots of research on this and data to support this, that that's just grown further and further and further apart, right? And so there's there's fewer people in the middle to be the bridge for that communication and, and the tribalism uh, has really been reinforced. And whether we're talking about politics, whether we're talking about religious ideology, socio, you know, economic ideologies, whatever—like pick your thing—the um, the, the same types of characteristics tend to, to play out. We can talk about identity politics, and we can talk about LGBTQ plus um, identification, and those issues. Like all of this brings with it, like these narratives and uh, these perceptions on how how to appropriately communicate with other people and some people buy into those narratives and other people just flat out disregard them and say no we're, we're, I'm not even going to entertain that um, And so that it makes it really hard socially you know to talk with, amongst friends and family about some of these difficult challenging issues uh, where people just have vastly different starting assumptions about what reality is around these issues. Um, and then, then you, you take all this. Though it's it's hard enough out in the just the everyday world. You take this into the workplace, mm. and I think it's it just amps it up a bit because now most people uh, in, in their day to day going about their job, they're just trying to do their work. They're trying to have a good, effective team. They're trying to be productive. They're trying to achieve um, and hopefully get customers and retain and make money and like all that stuff, right? Um, and so you have this common goal. Uh, that can tie you together in the workplace that m- might be missing with friends and family, even though you have you know familial connections and other common commonalities common ground there too. Um, but in the workplace now, anytime something comes up like a social justice issue at work and your company puts out a, a press release about you know this issue, that issue, the other, some people are going to agree with it internally. Some people are gonna vehemently disagree with it, right? And it really can be a divide. Uh, just regardless of whatever the best intentions are of the organization or the leaders. So the question is, I think, I think we've established, I think listeners will agree, like, yes, we live in a divided country. Um, We're very polarized across a ton of different dimensions. Now we're in the workplace. We have to work with these people. We can't just unfriend them on Facebook. They're part of our team. Mm -hmm. So how do you, how do you do that? How do you heal the divide? How do you start to have conversations that have to happen in order for you to be productive, Um, how do you leverage, like honor the distinctiveness and the diversity within your workplace and leverage the the unique backgrounds of each individual, recognizing that you you probably are coming from a completely different starting place in terms of assumptions, narratives, and kind of your perception of reality. and explore those ordinary everyday actions that will help you respond to an uncertain future and produce extraordinary results for individuals, teams, and organizations.
1: First thing we've got to realize, and this is a hard one for us, is we have to realize we can't change anyone else, and the only person we can change is ourselves. And that's the exact opposite of how we usually think. We're in a workplace. We're going, oh my gosh, this person's position is politically, morally, socially vulgar to me. Uh, They need to change. And I'm telling you right now, it's not them who has to change. It's you. Now, to many of you, you're hearing me saying that and you've now turned me off. I understand that, but I'm hoping you stay tuned in because that really is the first part. The second half is this, is I like to think of myself as being this really enlightened and civilized and thoughtful human being. And what I've really discovered um, in writing my book is I am nothing more than a shaved down ape who has good articulation skills. That's it. So uh, we are and... If anybody's ever looked at all the cognitive biases, there's you know hundreds of these cognitive biases, and I always looked at them, and I always kind of thought they were about equal. You got confirmation bias, and you've got a heuristic, and you have these different things. The tribalism bias or the in-group out-group bias drives us. It absolutely drives us, and we think, no, I'm be better than my ancient Neanderthal DNA. No, you're not. Human beings are herd animals, and we are on a a daily basis, hundreds of times a day, using the bias of in-group, out-group, and going, is this person with me or against me? They are either part of my tribe, they are my people, or they're not. Tribalism is our default um, setting. And if you're listening to that going, Peter, listen, uh, I'm not. uh, I am elevated. Okay, let me give you an example of it. Have you ever walked into uh, a networking meeting or a party and scanned the room and started judging people that's your tribalism so we're incredibly judgmental we're incredibly tribalistic so you as soon as you know that you are fighting your own tribalism
0: and and can i just add because people yeah people uh get defensive when when you describe something like this this isn't to say that you uh like intentionally are trying to go around judging people. It's hardwired and it's like, it's evolutionary psychology. It's hardwired into our brain and we have implicit biases, right? Uh, we, we just have uh, this stuff that's ingrained into us. And it, it's, it's not like we're sitting there choosing, okay, I'm going to really be this, this bigoted racist today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, most people aren't doing anything that overt they they're just going about their day and and they not like all the all of these buckets that we put people into they're their mental cognitive shortcuts mm-hmm. that allow us to navigate our day more efficiently and that that's just the way the human brain works and so if we want to counteract those we have to like proactively recognize mm-hmm. that it's happening and then we have to be able to like push ourselves out of our comfort zone so that we can do something different otherwise we're going to just fall into the same um trap over and over and over again.
1: I'm so glad that you uh, further unpacked that. Thank you uh, for doing that. You're, you're far more elegant than I am. <laughs> you should be a college professor, uh, which you are. So once you realize that you are battling your own uh, tribalism and your own uh, judgmental tendencies, you start being able to recognize when you're doing it uh, and, stopped, and stop it. So what has happened is, is both the media, which I when I say media, I mean that phrase incredibly broadly, and the politicians have all realized they can basically tweak our tribalism for their own gain. So they know that when they start blaming the other side, vilifying the other side, demonizing, objectifying, dehumanizing the other side, they will get more of our loyalty, more of our eyeballs watching their commercials or their podcasts or whatever it is, and they'll also get more of our money. It is an incredibly cheap And I say cheap, I mean immoral and low low cost way of actually getting us to hate other Americans for their gain. Now, here's how you really know that we're really being played: is poll uh, Pew and Gallup, is two of the most respected polling agencies on the planet, on a regular basis, poll on issues that matter most to us, Uh, whether it be uh, whether guns should be regulated, minimum wage, the climate. Uh, even something as polarizing as a, a abortion, they poll on these things, and when they ask about ask Americans about issues and whether they should have laws on those issues, there's regularly between sixty and eighty percent agreement. So if we agree so much on issues, why do we get caught up on fighting? And the reason is is that the, each, I and mean, once again, I'm oversimplifying this. Uh, you know, the, the liberals and the conservatives create their talking points that get disseminated through podcasts and different radio hosts and different news anchors. And those little um, talking points get ingrained in our brains. And those aren't talking points. They're tribal badges of affiliation. They're almost the same thing as wearing a big, giant badge on your shirt Uh, that says what biker gang that you're part of. So when you start talking about politics, you're not talking about the nuances of what raising minimum wage would do for the economy. All you're really saying is I'm part of this gang. What gang are you in? Oh, it's time for us to go to war. That's why politics right now is even more volatile than it ever has been.
0: So what do we do to fix this? Now, Certainly broadly speaking, you know, I want to be able to have conversations with friends and family who think differently than I do. I want, I don't want to be living in a bubble. Uh, I don't want to live in an echo chamber where I'm just around other people who always agree with me. That's problematic. Um, So, you know, outside of the workplace, there's lots of uh, conversation that needs to happen around how we can do this more healthily. Um, In the workplace, though, where we're forced to work side by side with individuals who might be diametric opposed to us in terms of our own kind of leanings uh, our own our own uh, persuasions uh, around a whole variety of issues and ideologies how do we get past the divide how do we to heal from that and, and build from that
1: so I'm again going to make some generalizations here and if the generalizations don't apply to you uh, great so in general in my experience 90 90- percent Nine percent of the time when somebody talks about politics and they start kind of floating out there, these little phrases, hey, what do you think about the riots that happened? Hey, what did you hear about the election? What they're really looking for is not a discussion about the issue. What they're really doing is saying, are you in my tribe or not? It really is a tribal litmus test more than it is a, a willingness to engage about a policy discussion. As soon as you do that, so first of all, if you're doing that and you now, now you know you're doing that, I'd stop. <laughs> That'd be one very good piece of advice. And the next time you hear somebody else doing it, rather than taking the bait and jumping into that conversation, now just sharing your talking points. Uh, uh, By the way, uh, I really think, uh, and first of all, I don't have a monopoly um, on the truth uh, and nor am I an original thinker. I really think that I'm a a cryptonesiac. Uh, A cryptonesiac is somebody who steals ideas from somewhere else, forgets that they got them somewhere else and regurgitates them. and, And that's all that I am. And I really don't think that I've ever had a conversation except for one or two college professors who actually had an original political thought. Every single one of my friends, when they talk politics, I can hear the talking points that they got from somewhere else. So uh, unless you're going to have an original discussion about policy, uh, don't do it. And I would also recommend that every single time, if you are going to go there um, on that, is I want to make sure the person you're talking with is worthy of the conversation you want to have. And a lot of times they just simply don't have the sophistication or the background in order to have a conversation worthy of wherever you happen to be in your social, cultural, political education. Um, uh, and secondly, if you decide to have a conversation, it should be stated explicitly. Listen, I, I want to talk about this issue with, issue with you. I am not here to change your mind. Uh, I just want to understand where you're coming from. Would you do me a favor in this conversation? Would you please not try to change my mind either? Uh, And that small little um, introductory piece should make the tenor of the conversation better if you choose to go go there. But now that you're understanding that most political conversations are just tribal litmus tests, I don't really know if you need to have those conversations anymore in the workplace.
0: Yeah, I I think that's really good advice. And... Uh, the bottom line is that we, we can't control other people to your point earlier in the conversation, we can control ourselves. Um, so we can choose to diffuse, um, really challenging situations that probably aren't going to lead anywhere, but in a negative direction, we can also, of course, choose not to start those, um, encounters in the first place. And, and we really should try to do that. And I really love your approach to just making sure that we clarify right up front, um, to build some mutual accountability and trust. And over time, as you develop that trust that that you, that the other person knows you want to have a meaningful conversation, that you just want to listen, you want to understand, you're not going to try to change them. I think that's where it has to start. And if we can't get there, um, we're never going to get past the tribalism. Um, Peter, Mr. I read re- yeah, on, on
1: before you ask the next question, just so you know, facts, I mean, again, another generalization, Facts will never change somebody's mind. So telling somebody where they're wrong is not going to help it. The only I'm going to say the only. Once again, I'm going to dramatically oversimplify it. The only way to change somebody's mind is through a relationship. So if you don't disagree with someone politically, the best way to change their mind is to spend a lot of time with them in empathetic conversation. I'm sorry, Jonathan.
0: Yes, absolutely. Well, Peter, I I recognize that uh, your time is running short and we need to finish up. The time has flown by. We could continue this conversation for another hour easy. Um, but to to be respectful of your time, I just wanted to make sure that we wrap up. Before we close, I wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you and find out more about your work, um, and then anything you want to share by way of closing.
1: Absolutely. So uh, my book, which is coming out August 3rd, The Second Civil War, A Citizen's Guide to Healing to Our... Arch- uh, Fractured Nation. It is written uh, not for political scholars, but for everyday people on how to understand and how to work in our current climate. Uh, They can find that book at barnesandnoble.com and also at amazon.com as of August 3rd. Uh, You might be thinking, well, I'm going to buy this and my friend really needs to read it. I think you'll be surprised that when you read it, it'll give you a perspective you don't currently have. Uh, And then you can always find me at petermontoya.com But I really hope you buy. and read the book. More importantly, read the book.
0: Thank you, Peter. Uh, It has been a real pleasure. I appreciate your time, your insights. I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected, check out the book. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you have a great week.